to not be in touch with people on, on, on Fridays. You'll find it more difficult to get a hold of me. I, I, I seek to rest from my, my work. And some weeks it's a real faith step because I'm not done what I need to do for the weekend. In fact, uh, maybe Saturday's all filled up and I go, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so every Friday, I put my life and my work in God's hands and I trust him that he'll be enough to help me through whatever tasks I have. And you know what's crazy? It's not crazy at all. God always comes through. God always provides what I need. And so for, for those of you who <laughs> work so hard and uh, maybe you find it difficult to take a step out of your work one day in seven, I urge you to, to practice that, to, to adopt that rhythm in your lives, to find a way to practice rest in the midst of your busyness. We're going to talk about more, of that, uh, more about that in a minute. Um, and the Lord said to me, <laughs> going back to my sabbatical, he said, just like you do that one day in seven, one year in seven, take a few months, and you can trust me, Derwin, for that time too, and I'll come through. Which means he'll not only come through for me and do what he needs to do in my life, but he'll come through for you and do what he wants to do in this season in, in our absence. Um, I, I, I believe that. What are we going to be doing? It's going to be a lot. Uh, this has been a, a challenging, the last probably five years have been some of the toughest years in my pastoral ministry. We've, we've encountered a number of, of challenging things, including an office manager who passed away a number of years ago, uh, some significant staff transition over these years. And uh, I, I feel kind of soul tired a little bit. And so our, my emphasis during the sabbatical is going to be, God, renew me, <laughs> restore me, uh, bring me kind of, I'm looking for a reset and I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I, I sense God's promise for me. And I want to say, some, uh, Dave, when he was up here a few weeks ago, he, he made a comment about sabbatical that, that uh, sometimes pastors don't come back. And I, I just want to speak against that for this situation because I feel like, and Angel and I feel like, God has planted us in this community and, uh, and planted us in this church. And I feel like there's a whole lot of work left to be done in our community. And so I, I, I just want to say this out loud. We're here. We're, I, I think we're here for the long haul. I, of course. Thank you. Wally gets extra credit today because he clapped first. So thank you, Wally. Um, we, we just, uh, I, I, there's something about, I, I feel that staying in the, the same place for a long time bears some fruit. Uh, we have some relationships with the community that uh, are significant, and uh, we, we don't anticipate going unless God clearly leads us on, and so we'll trust God for that. Uh, I wanted to say that this morning just to assure you, because there's those that just, uh, you, you know, this morning um, I was praying, and every pastor wakes up on Sunday morning before they, they you know, you got to preach that day. You feel some fear. I, I do. And I was feeling that, I was saying, God, this is not, this doesn't feel good today. That's why I said to the Lord, this doesn't feel nice, what I'm feeling right in this moment. And uh, God, he, he said this word to me before, but I heard it really clear today. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. And I shared that in our prayer time this morning, and, and someone said, I think that's for the congregation. A lot of you are in situations right now where you need to hear that word. Don't be afraid, for I am with you.
the Lord your God, I am with you. I go, go with you wherever you go. So don't be afraid. So just like you, your pastor gets scared sometimes. Let's, can we agree together that we will, um, I don't think we can not be afraid. Uh, I think we can together, though, encourage each other and be strengthened uh, in our faith with the hope that we, the great hope that we have that our God goes with us wherever we are. Amen? I was going to tell you what I was going to do on my sabbatical, but I'll save that for another time. We'll, uh, we'll tell you what we're doing another Sunday, but uh, God's good, and, and uh, he's got good in store for us in this season. I think, I think he's going to use this season in the life of our church. He says to us as a congregation, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Let's, uh, let's pause and let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, you, you love us so. Um, <laughs> you're the one who said, Lord, don't be afraid. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Lord, uh, many of us need to hear your voice of comfort this morning and your voice of strengthening, your voice that counters our fears. Lord, may we not lose heart and may we not be afraid, but rather, God, we pray today our eyes would be on you, the God who promises to go with us no matter where we are. Uh, Father, whatever, uh, whatever valley someone's walking through right now, whatever furnace someone might be in, Jesus, I pray you'd be with them. <laughs> would, you, would you meet them there? Grant them your grace. Grant them your strength. For us as a congregation, as we enter this kind of sabbatical season together, I pray, Lord, meet us there. We pray, Lord, show up uh, in our lives and in this church. We, we pray that for years to come, this church would be a testament to you. This church would be a signpost to you. It would point people to you, Lord. It would be a light, and it would give you glory to bless this church and use this church, God. We pray that, Lord, humbly. Just We know we don't deserve it, we, we, but we long to, to be uh, agents of yours in this community. Help us be that, we pray. And now, once again, we come to your word, and uh, Lord, think how lost we'd be without your guidance. And so, would you lead us this morning, we pray. Speak to us by your grace. We ask these things together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, just turn to your neighbor for half a second and give him a great big smile. Would you do that? Great big smile at your neighbor. Can you do that? Okay. That's excellent. Okay, now stop smiling at your neighbor and smile at me. Smiles forward, everyone. Smiles this way, okay? No one smiled at me. You're all smiling at your neighbors just selfishly. I just poured out my spirit. I told you how I was afraid today, and no smiles for me. I'm going to shut up. Uh, story is told of a uh, man who applied for a job feeding animals at the zoo and he was told we've already filled that that position but we have another opening that's that's opened up um yesterday our gorilla died and if we give you a gorilla suit would you be willing to sit in in a cage and imitate that gorilla for a few weeks and this man he's he's kind of desperate for work and needing money and he agrees to do this he was he was actually quite good at pretending to be a gorilla he'd uh, He'd beat his chest, and he'd, he'd bellow, and he'd shake the bars of the cage, and, and zoo visitors just loved this guy. 
And one day while swinging on his trapeze, he loses his grip and he flies through the air and he lands in the lion's den. <laughs> He's totally, the lion is on one side of the, the den and, and the lion roars and this ape imposter begins to panic and he backs away and away and the lion starts moving towards him and uh, finally in desperation the ape man starts yelling help help and the lion opened his mouth again but this time instead of roaring he said in an intense whisper be quiet you fool or you'll get us both fired Well, uh, we're in this series on the Old Testament book of Daniel, and one of the best-known stories of the book features the title character, Daniel, uh, and his experience in the lion's den. And the lions were not guys dressed up in fur suits. These were real lions. And one of the reasons that we can admire someone like Daniel is that Daniel, when he faced extraordinary pressure, he was able to, to face that pressure with such strength and courage and grace. And, and if we want to become someone like Daniel, then I think like Daniel that, that we're going to actually have to, to ar arrange our lives around something. We're going to have to adopt certain rhythms and practices like Daniel did. And so as we look at Daniel chapter 6 today, we're going to think about what kind of practices that we can adopt in our lives. What kind of rhythms can we uh, adopt in our lives in order to become spiritually strong? strong enough to face whatever challenges happen to come our way. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Daniel chapter 6. We, sorry for those of you who are thinking we're going to go to Daniel chapter 5 and the whole writing on the wall, that amazing passage. We're jumping to Daniel 6 here this morning. And uh, I'll read parts of the passage. We'll begin at verse 1. It pleased Daniel, or Darius, I should say, to appoint 120 satraps. That's a word that means regional governors to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has to do with the, the law of his God. And so just an aside here, so we know that the, in these next verses, these, these administrators and governors uh, kind of set out to, to propose a law to the king that nobody can, can pray during these 30 days unless they pray to the king. And if they do, if they do pray, they're thrown into a lion's den. Jumping ahead to verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these three men went as a group and they found Daniel praying and they asked God for help, so, and, and asking God for help. So they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. 
Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, when the king heard this, and I've lost my place, you think I should just turn around and read it from here? Then the king heard this. I still can't find my... Then the men went as a group to King Darius. Susie, get up here. You were doing amazing. That was, that, was, uh, that was awesome. Then the men went as a group. I found my place. See, I told you I had reason to be afraid this morning. I had a reason to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I have been found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. May God bless the reading of his word. Just as a reminder, this, uh, this story is set in the Babylonian Empire in the 6th century BC. That's about 2,600 years ago. And in this chapter, the empire has just changed hands to become what is known as the, the Medo-Persian Empire. It had been Babylonian, and now it's being ruled by the Medes and Persians and by King Darius. Sixty years earlier, when Daniel was, was a young man, Israel had been captured, and Daniel, probably uh, around 20 years old, was, was taken as a captive to Babylon where he was to be re-educated and he would serve the empire. And Daniel, because of who he was, because of his talent, because of his abilities, because of God's evident favor and hand on his life, uh, Daniel rises to a, a, a high position in the government. And just as Daniel's career rose, so actually did the envy of the other rulers that were around him. They didn't like to see his rise to fame. And so what they do is they persuade the king to enact a law that would specifically target Daniel and his faith. A law that would not allow a person to, to pray for 30 days except to anyone but the king. The king buys into this seemingly loyal request from his servants. I mean... Who doesn't like to have their ego stroked, right? But here's the twist. If a person is caught praying, they will be thrown into a den of lions. And we kind of know from the story that these servants weren't lifting up the king. They were lifting up their own agenda, uh, an agenda that was against Daniel. And it's a trap. His opponents know that he will not be able to keep this law. So what they do is they spy out Daniel. They, they catch him in the act of praying. And they have him arrested, and he is then subsequently thrown into the lion's den. Now, some of you know that, that uh, this story really, really well. 
And so maybe it's lost some of its edge. But so I want to just have you imagine for a moment again, and I think we've been doing a lot of this lately, is thinking about someone who is willing to die for their faith, willing to die for something they believed in. I was thinking about this this week, and I was reminded about Tiananmen Square in 1989. And I didn't even know Tiananmen Square existed before 1989. It's a, it's a square in, in Beijing, China. And, we have, and, the, and the whole world came to know about it because of one man, a protester named Wang Weilin, who, who stood before a, a row of tanks as they were on their way to, to disband the, the, the protesters and the demonstrations. He did this to keep them from attacking. And when the tank tried to go around him, apparently what he did was he just moved to where the tank was heading. Uh, he was a, pil a person who was willing to risk his life to be crushed by a tank to save his, his people, to give up his life for a conviction that he held. And, and here we are with Daniel. Daniel, who is no longer a young man, by this time in the story, uh, he, he'd be like Elsie and Norm. He was probably around 80 years old, and he's willing to face death because of his convictions. Amazingly, he's, he's willing to die <laughs> so that he can pray because of his desire to pray. He won't stop praying. He won't drop this habit of seeking God in prayer. And, and really the question I want to have us kind of zero in on this morning is, how does Daniel become such a person, even in his old age? You know, where, where it might be more typical to become more risk-averse. As you age, it's typical to become a little bit more cautious. Not Daniel. How does he become such a brave, risk-filled life uh, uh, live a risk-filled life for God. How does he become this way? Uh, someone helped me think about this, Ken Shigematsu, uh, and uh, he talks about this, how, how very much Daniel became this way because uh, he would have been like an, a professional athlete and how they arranged their lives to become uh, a serious athlete, a champion. And any serious athlete kind of adopts a rhythm, adopts a, a routine that with kind of appropriate habits that help them excel in their, in their sport. So question for you, important question in the morning, have any of you been watching playoff hockey these weeks? Anybody? Yeah, we got, we got some Canadians in the room, just a few. Um, it's been heartbreaking, hasn't it? I mean, maybe you don't care about Winnipeg Jets, but it, I, I, I'm always saddened when the Canadian team, the token Canadian team is eliminated from the playoffs and they're not going to the Stanley Cup. That's bad news. Do you know what the good news is? There's still lots of Canadians going to the Stanley Cup because, you know, it's kind of our sport, or we seem to think so. Anyway, um, so matter, no matter which team, we're, we're going to be okay. But I love hearing hockey player stories, and they're often very similar in some ways, at least for Canadian hockey players. They grew up in small towns, often, not always, often ho-dunk places in the middle of nowhere, in the prairies somewhere, or in uh, middle of nowhere, British Columbia, wherever they might be. Uh, the stories of, uh, from young, as young, young children being taken by their parents, often daily to like pre-dawn practices. And then they go on extensive tournaments and there's all this travel and uh, uh, drill after drill after drill, practice after practice after practice. A few weeks ago, I, I caught a part of a game with Connor McDavid was playing, and Connor McDavid is kind of a, one of the elite scorers in the games, game right now. And uh, he, um, in the little snippet of hockey I caught that day, he scored a goal. And it was fantastic. He was by himself, and he went, 
went down into the opponent's end, and he spun around, and he was backwards, and he managed to, to back, like, like to fire the puck backwards into the net, and it looked effortless. It was an amazing goal, one that makes the highlight reels, right? And, uh, but what more impressed me than the goal itself was after the game, he was being interviewed about that goal, and he says, well, actually, I've uh, been practicing that move for many, many months. I've been, pr I've been going over that. I've been drilling that particular move for a long, long time now. I was glad to finally do it on the ice during a game. That's what he said. You know, it's tempting when we look at a, uh, somebody who's a master of their craft, we might think it's genetics or luck or just natural skill. But more often than not, uh, to compete at that level requires just effort after sustained effort. You know, putting in the hours, working away, you know, just practice, practice, practice. This is really congruent with Scripture, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. The Apostle Paul says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. You see, there's a massive difference between trying to do something and training to do something. Take, for example, a marathon. How many of us, if today, after the service, we said, folks, we're going to run a marathon together as a church, how many of us could actually complete a marathon? I think there'd be a lot of ambulance being, ambulances being called in for this congregation, me included. I think I'd probably die. But, but here's the thing. Many of us could run a marathon eventually if we trained for it. I'm, uh, I don't think of myself as a, much of a Spanish speecher, speaker, I should say, but I do know some key words, like taco, <laughs> burrito, enchilada. I love the way that rolls off my tongue. Tango, foxtrot. Actually, that's not a Spanish word, but whatever. Um, so today, I, I, if I was in a situation where to, I, I had to speak Spanish in order to save my life, I'd lose my life. I don't think that would kind of cut it. But give me a few months and a few hundred hours of learning and study and practice. And I believe even me with my linguistic challenges could become a Spanish, a fluent Spanish speaker. Does anyone believe that? I think so. I'd like to think so. Here's the thing. This, this kind of... <laughs> When we think about significant spiritual transformation, we don't just try to be spiritually stronger or to be spiritually brave or to have character. We train for it. And in verse 10, we see Daniel has a, a lifestyle that he's cultivated that is orientated towards God. We read that when Daniel heard the decree that no one should pray, what does Daniel do? He carried on doing what he had been doing for years. You know, he went into his room, he, he got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed to his God. We're told he, he worshipped, he lifted God up. We're told that he gave thanks, and, and that he asked for help. There's something remarkable about prayer, and I'm sure Daniel has discovered this, and, and maybe some of you. It's when we pray, when we spend time seeking to connect with God through prayer, this, this really awesome things, thing happens we supernaturally receive God's power. As we pray, God's love 
becomes more real to us. Uh, you know, our, uh, this, this love of God, which is so often for many of us an idea, when we pray, that love of God for us becomes more real to us. As we pray, we become new people. As we pray, our souls are fed and, and nourished. As we pray, God frees us up to live in the world in a unique kind of way. And if you were to ask the question, how are we, how could we become serious spiritual athletes able to face life pressures like, like Daniel with strength and with courage, a key part of that will be structuring our lives in such a way that we learn how to pray, that we learn how to orientate ourselves regularly with God. What might that look like for each of us? Authentic spiritual transformation. I'd say it's going to be kind of different for everyone. Um, you're, you're you. There's no one quite like you. And I love the fact God loves to relate to you as you. Not to some saint, Oswald Chambers, not, not like Martin Luther King. He, he likes to relate to angel as angel, how he has uniquely wired her and made her to be. And he's going to connect with God in, 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 in some very intimate and personal ways. He'll do that with each of us. He, God speaks to us in a way that we can understand, each of us. But, but here's the thing. Um, a, lot of, a lot of times there'll be some common denominators in our, our, our rhythms of life with God. For Daniel, he had set times every single day that he connected with God. And maybe for you, the best thing you could do is, is to find a time to set apart sometimes, maybe it's one, maybe it's many. Daily would be great to be in prayer or to be in solitude, to be in silence, especially in light of our busy lives these days, right? We're so busy. This one author wrote about this lesson that he learned with his mother driving. Listen to this. He writes, my mother was driving me and my sisters to school one day when she was pulled over by a policeman for speeding. And after things were, were worked out with the officer, we took off again, my mother being very careful to stay under the speed limit. After a few minutes passed, we started hearing a strange noise coming from our vehicle. What's that noise, my mother asked. <laughs> Laughing, I replied, that's the sound of slow. We've never heard it before. <laughs> Some of you, particularly when it comes to your walk with God, you need to hear the sound of slow. Maybe for many of you, you need to hear the sound of stop. You may need that. It'll, it'll require this authentic spiritual transformation in our lives will require the insertion into our lives of regular habits that focus us towards God. Leonard Sweet, uh, an author I like, he says, we are what we do with our attention. We are what we do with our attention. Mystic Simone Vale, she defines prayer as, as giving attention to God. Think of it this way. When you, when you pay attention to a child, it brings that child to life. When you pay attention to a, a girlfriend or a spouse, it brings that person to life. And when we pay attention to Christ, that brings us to life. Conversely there, um, I had a neat breakfast a couple weeks ago with a hillsider, and we were chatting, and uh, uh, for a couple of years, this guy who's a relatively new Christian has been picking up our daily bread. Anyone ever read the daily bread? You probably know it. We have it uh, available in our, in our foyer 
uh, for years we have, and it involves a little devotional every day with a little scripture, and uh, there's a prayer that you can pray, and so on. It's, it's something you can read in just a couple minutes. And uh, this guy began picking this up as a new believer. And uh, what he did, it, 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 he'd, he'd read the bread at the end of his day. It, a lot of people do it in the morning. He would do it at, at the end of his work day. He'd come home and he'd park in the driveway and he'd have this little quiet time with God. And he, and he found that the five minutes he was kind of giving to this wasn't quite enough. And so he'd actually, you know, he'd take the scripture that was there and, and he'd, instead of just reading the verse, he'd read the entire passage in his Bible. And and he began spending time in prayer. And, and he, he talked about how this was a, such a, a, a growing practice, such a helpful practice for him. What happened was they had a baby. And uh, suddenly it was no longer cool for him to sit in the driveway of their home, spending this great, nice time with God when, when the wife is inside struggling with a newborn. <laughs> that wasn't cool anymore. And so he says, for a couple months, I lost the habit and it was interesting. He could almost say, say I, I could see my spirits go down. I could see my discouragement going up. And for that couple of months, I felt so disconnected and disorientated in my life. So he's got, he, he said, I have to do something. And so what he did was he decided to insert it at the beginning of his day. He says, well, I can get up early. And he now, now he goes to work. He goes to work 45 minutes early. He sits in his vehicle by himself. And he spends time with God reading the bread. I didn't want him to be surprised this morning when uh, I, I, I was talking about him. And so I, I gave him a call yesterday, a couple days ago, and said, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about this on Sunday if you don't mind. And he says, sure. He says, it's funny you call. He says, remember, Derwin, we keep talking about me wanting to hear God's voice for myself. It's like I hear you guys talking about this all the time, about hearing God speak. And he says, I've never had that happen. I don't think I've ever had that happen. And I'd like to have that happen. Why is it not happening? This is our conversation. He says, Derwin, it's amazing you called today, of all days. It happened. <laughs> I was reading the bread, and it was Psalm chapter 4. And it's like that psalm was written for me today. It was like a, a letter from God to me today. He says, it's so awesome that you called. Go on, tell my story. This guy, growing in his relationship with God and feeling orientated in the world because of his time in the bread. Pretty awesome. Reminds me of something that Henry Nouwen uh, said about prayer. He said, the paradox of prayer is that it asks for serious effort while it can only be received as grace, a gift. He says, we can't plan, organize, or manipulate God, but without a careful discipline, we cannot receive him either. You catch that? And so whether it's through, through prayer like Daniel, through receiving God's word, through, through spending time in creation, in stillness, in quiet, in solitude, or spending time with other believers, however God is, is uniquely meeting us. And in those moments, it's about receiving the power of, of God in our lives. It's about our souls being nourished. My wife often prays a prayer for people. May your soul grow fat. Our souls, some of us, our souls are shriveled and we need so much to get on a, a diet where we beef up our souls and God wants to make your soul fats. And here's the thing, as we do that, we'll be able to walk with a new kind of strength and a new kind of, kind of courage and a, a new kind of freedom. 
Now, let me say, one of the ways we know that we're actually making that connection is that our heart and our character begin reflecting the heart and character of our God. We resemble who we spend time with. <laughs> and and part, so part of the way we know that is, is like Daniel, we'll experience a kind of clash with the values around us in our culture. It's like what happened to Scottish runner Eric Little uh, of the 1924 Olympic Games. He was this amazingly fast runner known as the, the Flying Scotsman. And he, as a follower of Christ, held the conviction that for him to honor God, that he wouldn't run, he would not race on, on his Sabbath day, he wouldn't race on a Sunday. And when he found out that, that in the Paris Olympics he was scheduled to run the 100-meter race on Sunday morning, he quite famously said no. And, and, and in spite of crazy pressure from all around him to do that, he refused to race. And as is illustrated in the film about him, in, in the Chariots of Fire film, Eric Little experienced some, some serious opposition from very powerful people because of, of his refusal to race. You see, once you begin to receive God into your life and, and into your being and God begins to change you, you, you'll start to hold values that actually clash with the culture around you, and you may experience opposition. Most of us won't face, you know, starving, ravenous lions. That won't be our deal. But if we're changed by God, we'll face some opposition. What could it look like? Let's say you're, you're in a dating relationship, and you're sleeping with your partner. And as you come to know God more fully, you, you realize that God, in, his intent for, for sexual intercourse is it for, for it to be between a, a husband and a wife in, in the safe confines of, of a committed relationship of marriage? And so, so maybe you actually pull back from that practice and, until you get married. That might bring opposition for you, at least with your partner. Or say you're married and you come to know God more personally and you realize that part of the way you show your dependence on God is by giving him a portion of your income and you do that, and, and tax time comes, and your partner looks at your, your income sta tax uh, statement, and you find out that they see that you've been giving generously to God. You've been giving a portion of your income to God's work. That could bring some, some significant opposition in your relationship. Or say you're in a business culture where, where telling lies uh, for the sake of your company or for the sake of colleagues is just part of how things go. And it becomes clear that God is calling you to integrity. He's calling you to a, a life of honesty, uh, to, to be a more straightforward person. But that's not the culture of your company. That, that could bring some serious opposition. Now, if, if you're being opposed and persecuted all the time, it may be that you're just kind of being a jerk, right? That may be. If you find that you're never opposed, that there's never kind of any clash in your life, you may not have connected with God in such a way that you've been changed. That's tr life transforming. Daniel living in Babylon through his habit with connection with God is, is allowing God to transform him, and it makes him distinct, which leads to this opposition. And when he's caught praying, Daniel is forced to uphold the law, or Darius, I should say, and Daniel is thrown in with these hungry, hungry lions. Again, uh, if you're familiar with the story, it may have lost some of its suspense, right? But think about what Daniel is up against. You ever heard of stories where, where a person is attacked by a, a, a cat, a great cat, a lion or tiger? I mean, I thought this week I was reminded of Sigfried and Roy. 
you know, almost lost his life because their supposedly tame lion kind of almost took him out, Bare, barely, barely lived through that. These are, these are brutal predators. And Daniel, this elderly man, is not just facing one hungry lion. He's facing a, a pride of hungry lions because of his faith. And folks, as we've said again and again here recently, the history of our faith are people who have been willing to lay down their lives for Jesus. They've been willing to, to, to face death because of their faith. And, and, and I want to just ask the question, how do you get to the place where you're that courageous? To follow God even when it might mean death. I think Daniel's life gives us a clue. We see that Daniel was a person that was so immersed in the life of God, so connected to God, with the life of God, that he came to believe that what David wrote about in the Psalms, your, your loving kindness, David wrote, is better than life. Your love, your, your life, your, your purposes are better than life here on earth. And when we come to know God's life, when we come to know God's love, his glory, that, that it's even more valuable than our lives, we'll become those people who are radically alive and radically courageous. Uh, many, many people think that, that uh, courage is the absence of fear. Uh, but according to Scott Peck, he's a doctor and, and uh, psychiatrist, author of The Road Less Traveled, he says, courage isn't the absence of fear, but it's the presence of a greater love that helps us walk through our fear. I think that's so true, right? Think about what you might be willing to lay down your life for right now. I'll tell you, for me, it's my wife and kids. I think I, I, we've been in situations where I, I've sensed there's threat. It was actually the Stanley Cup Finals seven years ago. We're downtown in, in Vancouver. We're watching the game on a big screen, and, and we were surrounded by, uh, what's, another, what's a better, more nice word than hooligans? We were surrounded by hooligans. Young adults who've been drinking a lot, and I realized we were in a situation of serious threat, and I found myself as a dad and a husband readying myself to do whatever it took to protect my kids as we're surrounded in this crowd by people who are kind of out of control. When we immerse ourselves regularly in the presence of God and as we grow to love God, we, we grow to love his purposes more than our very lives, we find we have something to die for. And if we have something to die for, we, have, we find we have actually something to actually live for. One pastor put it this way, God is looking for women and men who will die up front so they can really live. He's looking to lead people to the place where only dead women and men can go. Where, when we're willing to die for a cause greater than ourselves, we're, we're truly free. David was so immersed in God that, that he realized honoring God was just more important than life itself. So Daniel ends up, gotta, gotta wrap up the story here because we can't miss the, the deliverance part of it, but he ends up praying to God and he's thrown into the lion's den. God rescues Daniel. And, and God sends his angel to literally shut the mouths of the lions. And, and if you were, to, you were here a few weeks ago, we were talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how God rescued these three guys, not from the furnace, but in the furnace. And here Daniel... <laughs> Daniel's rescued not from the lion's den. He's rescued in the lion's den. And, he, and we see how he has to go through it. He's, he's thrown into that den. He's there in the presence of these, these hungry lions, and they just ignore him. Like he's not even being pawed at. And God delivers him in the lion's den. 
And, and I think, man, I, I don't want to be there with him. But Daniel sure had this remarkable experience in the lion's den with God, with the lions and, and with this angel of God. When I was speaking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a few weeks ago, someone uh, actually came to me after and said, where was Daniel in that story? The fact is we don't know. Uh, he may have been on vacation. Uh, he may have been sick. We, we actually, Scripture doesn't tell us where Daniel was. He's conspicuously absent. But I bet you when Daniel got back and heard what those three guys experienced in the furnace, Daniel's, got, Daniel's like, I, I wish I'd been there. I wish I'd been there because that sounds awesome to have met with God like you guys met. Well, Daniel got his chance 60 years later or so in the lion den where God met him powerfully. And you know what, folks, again, as we said a few weeks ago, there's something powerful about, about being in the furnace, about being in the lion's den that, that enables us to, to meet God in a deeper way. And none of us would ever choose the furnace or, or the lion's den. But, but if, we, if it comes our way, surprisingly, the worst of experiences can, can sometimes be the very best of experiences because we meet God there. So Daniel is in the lion's den. He's having this real quiet night with his new friends. Not so for the king, Darius. The, the text tells us he's anxious and sleepless. He's pacing through the whole night. And we're told that first light the next day, the king comes to see if Daniel's God has rescued him. And he says, Daniel, Daniel, has, has the God whom you serve been able to save you from the lions? And when he hears Daniel's voice, the lions have not harmed me, the king is, is overjoyed. He's overjoyed on one hand and he's furious in the other and he ends up throwing the people who had accused Daniel into the lion's den. We find out they were actually hungry after all. It says we're, they, they die before they actually hit the floor. That's what we hear. But it's an inter interesting contrast to me. The king has this deep and obvious affection for Daniel, even though Daniel's a foreigner. And we already saw that because of, of Daniel's devotion to God, because he reflected God's character, he provoked opposition. But here in, in, at the end of chapter 6, we see that because God has made Daniel different, the king has deep affection and respect for him. And I want to say this. If, if you and I are, are spiritual athletes bearing in our lives the life and the love of God, we will be opposed by some. That's just going to be our reality. But we'll also be loved by others. Maybe we'll become the, the stability in our dysfunctional family. Maybe you'll become the go-to person for, for people who have a problem. Maybe you'll, we'll become the, the pillar in our neighborhood. Maybe we'll become the, the integrity in our, our workplace or, or in our classroom. And, and if we learn to bear in our heart the love and character of God, we'll, we'll be opposed, but we'll also be loved by God through Christ. How do we become a spiritual athlete? I, I like William Wilberforce. He was a political leader in England who helped abolish the, 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 the slave trade. And he said, there's no shortcut to holiness. It must be the business of our entire lives. So let's begin. Let's, let's you and I get started. Receiving God's word and learning how to pray and, and, and inserting into our lives habits that orientate us towards God. Why don't you bow your heads with me as the team comes forward.
Lord, um, connection and communion with you is, is a gift. Uh, it's something that uh, you want to bestow upon us, and it's not something that we can orchestrate or manipulate. We can't control you, God. At the same time, Lord, it's not going to happen unless we seek you and look to you and order our lives around you. So, Lord, help us uh, as individuals. Help us to, to find those habits, whether it be Sabbath or time in Scripture, time in silence and solitude. Whatever, whatever that rhythm needs to be for each of us, I pray you'd help us shape that, be, be courageous enough to step out and, and form habits that will see us through whatever we face. Grant us your grace this day to, to live well with you, Lord, to experience all that you want for us, your love, your power, your joy. No matter what, what we're in, we ask these things together. In Jesus' name, amen.
together our God he's so good he loves you uh, and uh, this this morning as usual if you'd like to receive prayer we'd love to pray with you I believe God hears our prayers so whatever you're going through maybe you're in in a den right now and you need to know God's presence and and so come receive prayer refreshments are back there we've got bread and veggies in the courtyard and uh, back foyer but now receive this benediction May our God of grace give you this grace. As you pursue him, may you come to know that he pursues you relentlessly and he'll meet you. That little step you make towards him, <laughs> he'll, he'll run towards you. May God bless you. In Christ's name.